politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Well, Biden says we may have a large, large, full-scale invasion. That's right, full-scale invasion. Like nothing we haven't seen since World War II. Well, that'll be fun to look forward to, huh? Fantastic. Oh, and Jim Acosta says he still has marks on his back from the Trump era. What a baby. Good Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? How you doing? Uh, we got a lot to discuss. We have a lot to get to. It's a busy afternoon, as you can imagine. Whenever we're at the precipice of World War III, it tends to be busy. Go figure. And uh, that's like what it is today. This is uh, a little bit of what, uh, let's see here, a little bit of what uh, Joe Biden said earlier today. Here we go. Tell me whether you think, sir, that the risk of an invasion is increasing or decreasing or steady just as, as it has been these recent days. You know, I'll be completely honest with you. It's a little bit like reading tea leaves. Ordinarily, if we're a different leader, the fact that he continues to build forces along Ukraine's border from Belarus all the way around, you'd say, well, that means that he is looking like he's going to do something. But then you look at what his past behavior is and what uh, everyone is saying and his team, as well as everyone else, as to what is likely to happen. It all comes down to his, his decision. Look, let me conclude by saying... There will be enormous consequences if he were to go in and invade, as he could, the entire country. Enormous consequences. What does that mean exactly, enormous consequences? Don't you want to know what that means? I do. What does that mean? It's kind of scary if you think about it. I mean, Biden loves the war. I mean, a lot of these Democrats do love the war these days, as you know. Hmm. There will be enormous consequences. If he were to go in and invade, as he could, the entire country, or a lot less than that as well, for Russia, not only in terms of economic consequences and political consequences, but there will be enormous consequences worldwide. This would be the largest, if he were to move in with all those forces, it would be the largest invasion since World War II. It would change the world. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. My God, that's when the White House press goes, okay, thank you guys. We got we to gotta get this old man out of here, this crazy old man who just talked about World War II, a World War II-style invasion. Okay, get the crazy grandpa guy out of here. All right, Captain America, it's not going to be World War II again. It's going to be a whole lot worse now because, you see, since World War II, we've developed things called nuclear weapons, and this whole thing could be a real friggin' mess. Time to get under your desks. Hey, kids, forget the masks. Start practicing going under your desks for nuclear bomb drills. Remember those drills back in the day? That was the fear that maybe you went through when you were a child. For my kids, it's having 15 minutes to eat lunch. But hey, listen, maybe they can do both. Wear a mask and go under your desk. Maybe the mask will stop the nuclear holocaust from happening. I don't know. Or maybe at least when the nuclear waves come through your classroom, the mask will prevent the nuclear... I mean, the mask doesn't prevent COVID. Maybe it'll prevent nuclear the annihilation. I'm just throwing it out, but try to be an optimist again. Since Let me just back that up, make sure I heard that correctly. Consequences worldwide. 
This would be the largest, if you were to move in with all those forces, it would be the largest invasion since World War II. It would change the world. Thank you, guys. That's enough, guys. Get out. Grandpa's talking crazy again. You guys, come on, let's go. Thank you. There is not going to be any American forces moving into Ukraine. There's not going to be any American forces moving in, but it'll be the largest invasion since World War II. See, those two things kind of cancel each other out. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just pointing that out there for you. Okay, then. Uh, I feel good. I don't even, I don't even know what to think about this. Well, let's focus on what the other side of the administration is doing right now, shall we? Focusing on the most vulnerable people in America. We are focused on the most vulnerable. And based on my experience, the most vulnerable are women and girls, racial and ethnic minorities, LGBTQI plus people, indigenous people, people with disabilities, migrants, and children in the foster care system. When we identify who is most vulnerable, we can tailor our tactics and improve our strategy. We can... So as long as you're not a straight white man, you're good. You're vulnerable and they'll protect you. All right. They'll protect you. There you go. Now, um, uh, where's Biden today? Well, what's he doing? Aren't you curious what his schedule is today? I mean, th- there's a reason why they keep him away from the press because of what he just said about this will be World War II. Jen Psaki trying to struggle, struggles to explain why Biden's schedule is just so empty. Where is he? Where is the guy? So the president has nothing on his schedule today aside from the PDB. Can you shed any light on, on how he's spending his day? Uh, well, let's see. Um, this morning, I think he had some policy meetings, uh, also a PDB meeting. Um, he, um, later this afternoon, uh, I think is doing some remarks review. I, there are some days that we spend some time uh, doing internal meetings and discussions uh, with policy experts, with policy leaders. Um, and that's, that's what's happening today. All right. There you go. Very busy. He's also doing a jello tasting and uh, a pudding a pudding, a pudding tasting, perhaps. Today, the FDA decided to revoke authorization for monoclonal antibody treatments. All right. Now, I'm going to play you a clip from Fauci. I want you to keep in mind something. Today, Pfizer announced that they are very close to coming out with the Omicron-specific booster. Now, what does that imply to you? What it implies to me is that the boosters that they have now don't work against Omicron. Right. Okay, so keep that in mind as I play this clip of Fauci explaining why they're taking down monoclonal antibodies. All right? Here we go. Doctor, the FDA revoked the emergency use authorization for Regeneron and Eli Lilly COVID-19 antibody treatments, saying they're unlikely to work against Omicron. After the decision, Florida announced it's closing its monoclonal antibody sites. Talk to us about that decision. What about people who, who have COVID but, but not Omicron? Well, if you look in the United States, about 99% of the isolates are Omicron. So it would be extremely unusual for someone to still have a lingering Delta infection right now. I think a month or two ago, that was different when Omicron was replacing Delta. But now if you look at the isolate throughout the country, they're very, very high. I mean, literally close to 100% of the isolates now are Omicron. And that's the reason why the FDA made that decision, since these two monoclonal antibodies don't work against Omicron, that it would not be a good idea to administer to anyone because all you'll have is the risk of a potential adverse effect, 
with essentially no benefit from the actual therapeutic effect. There is a monoclonal antibody, satrivimab, that actually does work against the Omicron. And that's a, that's a monoclonal antibody made by GSK. Doctor, uh, quickly, uh, I know shortly we're going to have access to, uh, I think, three. Okay, so you got that now? So we, we're, we're pulling it because it doesn't work against Omicron. Now, if, if they're coming close to coming out with a new booster that works on Omicron, but the other boosters and the vaccines are still out there, but the monoclonal antibodies that don't work against Omicron are being taken off, what does that tell you? Tells me this. Once again, the administration is doing what the administration does. They are only pushing vaccines and boosters. That is all of what their policy is. They're all in on vaccines and boosters. Once again, vaccines and boosters. This is the fundamental problem of the Joe Biden presidency of handling COVID. They refuse to look at an all-in, comprehensive, throw everything you got at it approach to fighting COVID. It's just for them, it's vaccines and boosters. And why? Ask yourself why. Because that's the most divisive. Vaccines and boosters are the most divisive, especially when you involve children. Monoclonal antibodies aren't controversial. Pills aren't controversial, really. You know, I mean, well, I mean, they try to make these things controversial, but they shouldn't be. But vaccines are controversial. A lot of people, you know, they're just hesitant to to get them and they want to wait. They want to take their time. So they take what is the most controversial and they drive that and they keep driving it and they ignore everything else. And they do so at their peril. Because what we found is that obviously Omicron, the vaccine does not stop the transmission of Omicron, which is why they're coming up with a vaccine specific, a variant specific vaccine booster. But because this administration has decided it's going to be all in on vaccines, they figured, well, there are some people out there that won't get vaccinated because we have these other treatments. So screw them. Let's get rid of the treatments. So they have no choice but to get vaccinated or die. This is their mindset because it's all about division. This is what Saki said today. Secondly, the FDA yesterday withdrew the EUA for some monoclonal antibody treatments because they don't work against Omicron. But Florida continues to push for the treatment for people in the state. What's your response to Governor Santis? And what's your message to the people of Florida? Well, let's just take a step back here just to realize how crazy this is a little bit. Um, We've approached uh, COVID treatments like filling a medicine cabinet. We're not relying on one type, one brand, or treatment. We invested in and continue to buy a variety across monoclonal antibodies, pre-exposure prevention therapies, and oral antivirals. We have provided 71,000 doses of antivirals to Florida, including 34,000 additional treatments that do work against Omicron. Just this last week, I'm sorry, about of a range of those treatments, I should say, to be clear. What the FDA is making clear is that these treatments, the ones that they are fighting over, that the governor is fighting over, do not work against Omicron, and they have side effects. That is what the scientists are saying. We have sent them 71,000 doses of treatments that are effective against Omicron and are effective also against Delta. Uh, And they are still advocating uh, for treatments that don't work. Uh, We've seen, unfortunately, from the beginning uh, in our pandemic response, a range of steps or pushes that have been made through social media platforms, unfortunately, from the mouths of elected officials uh, and the advocating for things that don't work, even when we know things do work, injecting disinfectant, promoting other pseudoscience, sowing doubt on the effectiveness of vaccines and boosters, and now promoting treatments that don't work. We know it works, vaccines and boosters. We have a range of doses of things that do work in treatments, and we're providing those to Florida. Go ahead. Jen, uh, the So, we're back to the injecting bleach lie that the president said maybe we can inject bleach. 
This is the problem, of course. This is what the administration does wrong, and so many times wrong. They go all in on vaccines and boosters and nothing else. It's insane. It's really insane. It makes no sense. But it shows you, again, it's not about science. What it's about, of course, again, is division. It's they pick their favorites and they divide and they continue to divide. So it may not help with Omicron specifically, but it helps with COVID. And it also may help with other things. <laughs> and, 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 and also to act like Omicron is the end of everything, when we don't know if that's the end of it, there might be another variant. But if these vaccines and boosters are no, don't specifically work against Omicron, and that's why they have to develop another booster, then those two arguments cancel each other out. Why can these people not see that? Oh, they can see it. They just don't care. Because this is entirely about a culture war, entirely about division. And that's all it is with them. And it's why people get get offended and disgusted with things like vaccine mandates. They really do. They get offended and disgusted with vaccine mandates for the for that reason. For that reason. And it, it doesn't it doesn't stop. It never stops with them. Uh Peter Dinklage. <laughs> Uh, called out uh, Disney for its upcoming Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs remake, calling it an effing backwards story. He was on the uh, WTF podcast, live-action remake of Snow White, set to be directed by uh, Rachel Zegler. I get, or will star Rachel Zegler as a star. He says there's a lot of hypocrisy going on. Literally no offense to anyone, but I was a little taken aback when they were very proud to cast a Latina actress as Snow White, but you're telling me the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? The Game of Thrones star went on to request that Disney take a step back and recognize the story it's telling and how the studio depicts dwarfism, adding it makes no sense to me. He goes, you're progressive in one way with a Latina, but then you're still making that effing backwards story about seven dwarfs living in a cave together. What the hell are you doing, man? <laughs> Peter Dinklage, as you know, is not a very tall man. Have I done nothing to advance the cause for my soapbox? I guess I'm not loud enough. I don't know which studio that is, but they were so proud of it. All love and respect to the actress and all the people who thought they were doing the right thing. But I'm just like, what are you doing? So a live action remake of of, uh, of Snow White. While the dwarves have yet to be cast, Disney announced that uh, Zegler will play Snow White. And they were all very happy that she's Latina. While Gal Gadot will portray the evil queen, which is very good. Since after Gal Gadot did that awful rendition of Imagine, she's pretty evil. He doesn't think the film should be shelved quite yet. He says, uh, look, if you tell the story of Snow White with the most effed up, cool, or progressive spin on it, uh, go ahead, let's do it. <laughs> that's just pretty funny. I like when people point out hypocrisy of things. That's all. I just, I think it's funny to me. It, it's, that's all. I just, I, to me, I find that stuff charming. Um, Aaron Rodgers has a lot of uh, hatred towards him right now. People were so thrilled that the Green Bay Packers lost the game Saturday night. And, you know, I was rooting for them, but it wasn't nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers' stance on COVID. I just, like, I don't know. I, was, I mean, I, you know, look, you know me. I'm not the biggest sports guy. I'm not going to pretend I am. But I don't know. I was rooting for the team, and it, it literally nothing to do with him going on Joe Rogan. But what I found, though, was that when they lost, the left and so many people on Twitter were so easy, ready to savage him over that. Like, good. Charlie Sykes, who writes for The Bulwark, which is this anti-Trump site, proving that most of the never-Trumpers are deep down inside uh, their, their total lefties. Because Trump's gone, and yet they haven't changed with their anti-Republican, anti-conservative, destroy anything and everything that goes against what the Democrats stand for now. So a lot of these people were just frauds. They got outed and exposed by, by Trump, and, and now that he's gone, it's not like they've gone back to embracing conservatism. They're still doing the same thing. So this guy, Charlie Sykes, was, was out there you know, trashing... 
Aaron Rodgers and going, I'm taking such joy in this schadenfreude of knowing that Rodgers lost. And he wrote, he said, maybe perhaps he should have spent less time going on Joe Rogan, more time watching game films. And he would have won. Uh-huh, right, okay. Um, Aaron Rodgers getting bashed over this. This is what he said today on a podcast that he was on. Uh, Let's talk about Pat fourth quarter show. there. I'm sure you've looked back at it. McAfee there was show. a couple of times after the blocked punt to go out there and make a play. I'm sure somewhere inside of you, you're like, okay, this is what we do. This is what we have been. We've been able to go out here and make these types of things. And anytime a situation or a game ends in the way it does, especially with you at the helm, that's going to bring out all of the haters, all of the stats, everything that is, at, you know, people are sitting on throw Rogan, you know, for weeks waiting for that moment that was trending alongside covid and everything. Why do you think maybe the rhythm wasn't there? And why do you think the results of you not having success bring so much happiness to so many people? Do you think it's strictly because you're an immunized son of a bitch? Do you think it's because of anything, any other reason? Or what, what do you think it is because of? Well, that's like five different questions. Uh... Yeah, just take it however you need to. <laughs> well, yeah, there's obviously some plays that I, I wish uh, we'd executed better. Um, you knew this was was in the mix. There were a ton of people tuning in, rooting against us for one reason and one reason only. It's because of, uh, you know, my vaccination status and them wanting to see us lose so they could pile on and, and, uh, and enjoy and revel in the fact that... Uh, you know, my vaccination status was, uh, you know, some sort of reason why we haven't had success in the playoffs or whatever it might be, some sort of correlation. I think to have the perspective of an entire year of dealing with this and knowing that this was coming down the pipe at some point uh, with the amount of guys that, that did get COVID throughout the year, I knew there's a possibility that I would have to make comments about my own personal status and, and possibly be in the fire from it all. I think as frustrating as, as uh, it's been at times, there's been a lot of reflection uh, uh, to try and embrace the empathy of the situation. And I think for so many people, it's really been a hard time, you know, uh, from a purely financial Standpoint, So many of my friends who are small business owners in Northern California and really all over the country, you know, have really had a, a difficult time during the, the last couple of years. And from a pure mental standpoint, I think the biggest thing that people have been dealing with is fear. You know, there's so much fear around. Let's stop it for a second. You know, fear is a great way to control people. I was thinking yesterday about the uh, comment Nicole Wallace made. No, not Nicole Wallace, although it's one of those. She kind of put them on the same box. Uh, Sarah Haynes on The View. And she was talking about how she'll always wear her mask on the airplane, always wear her mask on the subway, going into department stores, et cetera, et cetera. And, I, it, you know, there's such an amount of fear out there. And I don't know why we're going to live like this for the rest of our lives. There's so many things that can kill us out there. But we're going to do this now. And fear is a very powerful force used to control populations. And it's been done since the dawn of time, obviously. I mean, the, the best analogy I can give you is after 9-11. But, I mean, we still, it continues today, the security state, the security theater. And it's gotten better in the sense that for a lot of us, I think on the right, we've woken up to the fact that the NSA spying and, the, and, and all the tools we give government under the guise of keeping us safe is disastrous for liberty. It's disastrous for liberty. I think we went through a phase as conservatives where 
there were, uh, for a number of years, people defending those tactics because of terrorism. You know, and it was, it was well, what do you want to get blown up by a terrorist? I mean, that was the common refrain that I would get when I would be on the radio because I was not supportive of those tactics. And that was the common refrain I'd get from people. I called, Rich, I love your show. I disagree. With, I agree with that and everything, but I really disagree with you on this. You know, this spying is to keep us safe. Don't you understand? If you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. And on and on it goes. I, I think we've we finally, in the last several years, really through the Trump administration and seeing what they did to him and his people, using all those tactics that were, we these powers that were given to them under the guise of keeping us safe from terrorism uh, and then turning it against uh, a political candidate and his people and then now turning it against his supporters under the guise of domestic terrorism. So I think we've woken up to that fact and said, this is a bunch of BS, all right? You took fear and you used it to manipulate us and allow us to weaken the Bill of Rights. And we, 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 we now, we get it now. But I think COVID is the same way. And I think for a lot of people, and again, thankfully not on our side of the aisle, I think, whereas we one time, many people, not we, I say just the collective we, I mean, people on the right at one time were thinking and very much in the defense of things like the Patriot Act. And it's flipped now. I think now it's more conservatives than ever are realizing that the how disastrous all that stuff is. You give the FBI and the NSA and all these other groups power, and it gets abused. And the same thing, and that's why that's why people on the right now are, are much more, um, I would say, unwilling to acquiesce to all these COVID restrictions, mandates, etc. It's it's not because we want to die. It's because we see how government abuses this stuff. We see how government takes this power and then turns it on its head, weaponizes it for political powers, political purposes, and then uses it. Years ago, I said on the radio, I said this, the only axiom is, is that if you ever sacrifice your liberty in the name of safety, the government's going to take whatever power you've given them, weaponize it, and use it for political purposes. And we've seen that play out. Look, the headline, the New York Times article, roles of FBI and informants muddle the Michigan governor kidnapping case. Before five men stand trial in March, prosecutors and defense lawyers are examining more than a thousand hours of secretly recorded conversations where FBI agents and FBI informants were behind the plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So this is this is what I'm talking about here. It's exactly that, and this is this is why people wake up to this fact. I mean, today Jen Psaki was asked about FBI agents and and their potential role in January 6th. And of course, you know, she's going to be snarky as ever about it. But why can't we get answers as to how, what involvement, if any, the government had that day? It doesn't necessarily excuse the actions of people, although it may in a court of law. But it's information the public should know, just like with the Michigan uh, kidnapping case. Here's that little audio. Okay, Todd, last one, and then I got it. You guys, I think, got together. questions. Um, Some members of Congress have um, been promoting this theory that the FBI had at least one provocateur in the January 6th mob. Um, Can the White House say unequivocally that there were no federal agents who provoked illegal attacks? Well, FBI Director Ray has already said that the FBI had no evidence of this baseless conspiracy, and he would certainly know. Um, and over the last week, we've seen a number of House Republicans uh, announcing billions of dollars worth of infrastructure projects in their districts. Um, these are Republicans who voted against that bill. Um, what does the White House have to say about that? We welcome their support for the president's agenda and an agenda that was supported by some Republicans, not the majority. And hopefully they'll take the right vote to support their communities and jobs, job creation in the future. Maybe we'll make them think twice. Thanks, everyone. I'm so. Um, did that make any sense to anybody? Probably not. 
Did that make any sense to anybody? I'm trying to understand if that made sense to anybody. I'm trying to really try to figure that one out. I'm going to need a translator for that. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. So it's infuriating. You can understand why so many people are angry about the, this decision now to cancel monoclonal antibodies. I mean, I know people who have lives have been saved from using monoclonal antibodies. I have two friends who were not vaccinated, and they both use monoclonal antibodies, and it saved their lives. But you see, that's the key. They're not vaccinated. And that's what the White House doesn't want. How dare anybody not be vaccinated? So we're going to get rid of a life-saving treatment. And by the way, they both probably had Delta, uh, Omicron because it happened around Christmas time or maybe after Christmas in that time period. So they both probably had Omicron and it helped them. It saved, it saved them. But you see, that's the thing. This is, this is completely about let's take a tool out of the toolbox, even though it could save people's lives, because we are much more about an agenda. And that agenda is everybody has to be vaccinated, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. We tell you do what you're told. It's pathetic. It's pathetic to take any tool out of the toolbox. But you know, this is this is what I mean about fear, and this is what I mean about the fear mongering and everything else. But it doesn't matter because that monkey, the monkeys, the escape monkeys, the woman who touched one of the went near the monkey, she's now sick with COVID-like symptoms. So we got that going for us, which is nice. Yeah, she's got COVID-like symptoms right now that she's dealing with. And, uh, and she's, she's very sick, and that's, a, that's just unbelievable. So she's been posting on Facebook about the fact that she now has a fever and a cough. And she didn't get scratched or bit by a monkey, but she got close enough to the monkeys, and one of the monkeys hissed at her. So now she's sick. Well, I would say to you, get toilet paper. I don't know what else to tell you. Michelle Fallon, she says she's developed virus symptoms after helping out at the crash scene. Oh, man. Oh, man. Just when we thought it was safe to go back around the monkeys. She said she tried to pet a monkey. Why would you Why would you ever try to pet a monkey? Why would you? There's no scenario where it's ever a good idea to pet a monkey. I'm just saying for the record. That's never a good idea. Now, this is uh, some of the details of the story here. So uh, there were 100 monkeys on the road, as you know. And we, we've talked about this a lot. So she noticed that one of the monkeys was, well, several monkeys were missing. So she went near them. She stepped in animal feces. The next day, she developed COVID-like symptoms, including a cough and pink eye. They gave her four rabies injections together with an antiviral drug. She's being monitored for symptoms, symptoms of rabies and monkey herpes virus B. Monkey herpes virus B was my Bill Clinton cover band. Well, no, because he played the saxophone. So I was monkey herpes virus B. There's a Bill Clinton saxophone playing cover band. First responders who attended the crash were also told to check themselves for symptoms. The B virus is extremely rare in humans, but leads to severe brain damage and death, if not treated promptly. But the victims get it from monkey bites and scratches. See, she didn't get bit or scratched. Now, lab monkeys have also in the past been found to be infected with tuberculosis, Chagas disease, cholera, and Mercer. MRSA. I think I'm saying Mercer, right? If not, somebody will send me a note, I'm sure. Well, it really doesn't matter, does it? Because we got this happening right now. Woman who helped after lab monkey escaped falls ill, sparking outbreak fears in Pennsylvania. Fantastic. You know, I like Planet of the Apes, and I hope it comes to our area again. Why not? Maybe we'll do a better job of running the show. Will it be that much different than the way the Democrats are running things in Washington right now, honestly? It might be better, but they're more alpha than I think the Democrats are. Democrats are way too beta right now, obviously, with everything. What else do I have for you today? I have a lot of things uh, that I'll, uh, there's a, there's a lot going on. Apparently there was a little uh, disagreement today on the set of Fox and friends over mask wearing. 
Now, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm tired of the masks and I think it's enough is enough already. I want to live my life like normal. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I just don't. And look, you, you do whatever you want to do. I mean, you know, do, do what you want to do. But I'm telling you right now, this is so bad. This whole issue of mask wearing is so bad. Kids right now are suffering over this. I'll share this story with you. Palm Beach therapist sees an increase now in children's speech delays during COVID-19. Now, this hits particularly home because our daughter has has some issues with this where she goes to see a speech therapist. And what the uh, what they say is now, you know, these kids who have to wear masks all day and seeing the other kids in masks and not being able to see how their lips move and their words move. Well, this is a real problem for them. And it's one of the reasons why we're seeing these delays happening. And I had my friend Joyce on recently from Speak to Me Kids. She owns this speech therapy business in South Jersey. And she told me that she's seen this. And she's and this one therapist now in Palm Beach, she says that during the pandemic, the speech therapy clinic has seen an enormous shift in the ages of its patients. Before the pandemic, only 5% of patients were babies and toddlers, while today it's soared to 20%. Many parents call it COVID delayed. We've seen a ready 364% patient increase in patient referrals of babies and toddlers from pediatricians and parents. When asked if they are children having a difficult time speaking, the therapist said, yes, they are speech delayed. Babies start learning how to speak by reading lips as young as eight months old. So when lips and faces are covered by masks, therapists say for some kids, um, they're able to work around the mask and still learn to speak. But for others, it can cause speech delays. I'm not surprised by this. I'm not surprised by this at all. Doctors are telling parents to look for these speech milestones in young children. At 12 months old, toddlers typically say about five to 10 words, such as mama and dada. At 18 months old, most kids can say 25 to 50 words. But by two years old, kids should be saying hundreds of words. The biggest piece of advice therapists say is to give your kids your time. When parents are home and the mask is off, turn off the media and instead read to your child, play and sing with them so they can observe speech. Man, I'm trying to think if baby Reagan's on track now. I'll have to send this to Bridget and see if baby Reagan's on track. Now that makes me nervous. I mean, she's just been home the whole time. I'm not going to put, I would never, I could not. It's just the idea of having her wear a mask in daycare. There's no way she could do it, first of all. But this idiot governor keeping these kids in masks indefinitely, it's just, it's, it's outrageous. But they don't want the pandemic to end. You know, these people don't want the pandemic to end. Paul Krugman of the New York Times today says people are making decisions, still think inflation is going to go away by next year. But, I, you know, I said yesterday, doesn't it kind of feel like we're living in a giant 1970s reenactment? Like you, ever, you ever see like a Civil War reenactment or something like that? I feel like we're living in a giant 1970s reenactment. Well, this is what uh, economist Paul Krugman said today. About it's interesting this. that the Fed, at least Jay Powell, has finally admitted that inflation may not be as transitory as he thought. Within the data that you're looking at, what makes this less transitory than maybe we thought it was in the beginning? Oh, it's clear. I mean, there's two things. There's the... The supply chain issues, which are proving a lot more persistent, I think, than any. Who knew that the global logistics was as fragile as it has turned out to be? Uh, And those will eventually go away, but not as quickly as, you know, not nearly as quickly as we thought or hoped. And then there's the labor market, the great resignation. Um, We are, you know, employment is still well below the pre-pandemic trend, but everything else about the labor market says it's very tight. So it appears that the economy has less capacity 
velocity than we thought. And so that's why we're in a situation where inflation you know, is, has not faded away quickly. Um, I think it is important to say that if we look at both consumer and market expectations, everybody has is expecting a lot of inflation uh, this, this coming year. Um, but five-year inflation expectations, again, both consumer and market, are not up all that much, which suggests that people, both people who, you know, who are making bets on it and people who are going to be making decisions still mm-hmm. think that this thing is going to go away by next year. So, you know, I guess we're not allowed to use the word transitory at wow. this point, but something. You know, people are still not, expectations are still not building in a yeah. 70s-style persistent inflation. Okay, so we'll have to find a synonym for transitory that appeases everyone, yeah. uh, prof- Professor. But I-, <laughs> I, I, I love the 70s, don't you? Expectations are still not building in a 70s-style persistent inflation. Well, you call it whatever you want. If you don't want to call it transitory, whatever you want to call it, pal, people are living this. They are living this in real time. My friend just asked me about the monkey story. They said, why are we, why the heck are we transporting African monkeys anyway? I don't know. By the way, the Biden administration is withdrawing the COVID-19 vaccine and testing mandate for private employers. Boom. Gaboom. It's a big win for freedom right there. They're withdrawing the regulation mandating the private employers with 100 or more employers get a COVID-19 vaccine or be tested on a weekly basis. Withdrawal will take effect on Wednesday, according to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's website. That is fantastic. Boom. A win for liberty. I love it. That makes me very, very happy. I'll tell you what. It's these little things you got to love. You got to love the little things, don't you? Because what else do we have in life if we don't have the little things? It's all about the little things. And that's what I think. I think you got to celebrate the joy in life. You got to enjoy things like today was a nice warm day. Tomorrow's going to be freaking cold again. (laughs) But I think that, you know, I'm just just pointing that out right now. Now, uh, Joe Biden, by the way, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave you with this. Joe Biden, right now, actually, before I leave you with this, I got I to gotta share with you one more, one more snarks cut today. Um, Socks, uh, Socks, no, Snarky, so, Socky says today now, she stands in solidarity with students in D.C., all right, who are protesting. Now, you notice how this administration has never sided with kids or parents who protest any COVID mandates? In fact, they mock them, they belittle them, but kids who... Man who mock or kids who protest the lack of mandates. Oh, the White House is all in on that. These are heroes. They want mandates. They want control. They want government telling them what to do. These people are heroes. Um, we we understand um, as a parent myself, but I know these students are, are dealing with uh, fears that they have themselves about the fear of going to a school, a classroom, a workplace uh, where you don't feel safe. Uh, that is one of the reasons that we have been so supportive and advocated for um, for uh, for leaders and school leaders to follow public health guidelines. So um, you know that is the way to keep people safe, uh, to ensure people can feel safe in their school or their workplace, and and certainly we we support that. Well, that's so great. All these kids are so brave and looking for more and more people to tell them what to do and more government control over their lives, and we salute them. Former Governor Elliot Spitzer used an alias at a Manhattan hospital when checking in on the escort. He was accused of choking hours before in February of 2016, according to the New York Post. Spitzer also name-dropped then-Police Commissioner Bill Bratton as cops were investigating the Plaza Hotel incident and claimed that the blood found in the hotel room after the uh, the prostitute slit her wrist was from her menstrual cycle. Hmm. 
In the aftermath of the violent encounter, the then 25-year-old woman threatened she would make it worse than 2008 for Spitzer, who, when he resigned as governor after it was revealed he was patronizing another prostitute. According to a lengthy text message exchange between the disgraced Democrat and the purported former $5,000 a night hooker, boy, Biden's inflation's killing everything. Five grand a night. No, this was 2016. Now that would be $25,000 a night. The newly unearthed documents reveal new details of the incident that led this woman to accuse Spitzer of assault, a charge she later recanted. Spitzer claims she was attempting to extort him. What do you think after you have to leave the governor's office for uh, engaging in prostitution that maybe it's not a good idea for you to engage in prostitution? Just throwing, I'm just throwing it out, again, throwing it out there, like his career advice and everything else. Like maybe they know who you are and, it's, you know, you kind of, a, people know you because you were the governor. Nah, forget it. Something in that office just makes people, you know, obviously have lack of judgment. On uh, the aftermath of February 13th, 2016, Spitzer met this woman for a drink in the $1,000 night plaza hotel suite. And then 25-year-old told Spitzer she was flying back to Russia the next day and would live uh, there permanently. Spitzer left the Midtown Hotel an hour later but called her 30 times over the next three hours. Hello, psycho. He was threatening her and attempting to prevent her from returning to Russia. Clearly, he fell in love. At 7 p.m., he returned to her room, grabbed her by the wrist, and threw her back on the bed while standing over her he placed his his uh, his something onto her neck and throat and put pressure, causing her not to be able to breathe for at least three seconds. The Russian national then told police that in an effort to get out of the room and to scare Spitzer, she took a wine glass, broke it lightly, uh, cut herself on the wrist. Or cut it and lightly cut herself on the wrist. Shortly after 8 p.m., a 911 call was placed and the victim was taken to the hospital. She's uh, having her time of the month and I just came to help, Spitzer told detectives. Thanks for coming, Gov. She's fine now. We don't need you anymore, the police officer said. Adding, do I need to call Bill, a reference to the top cop, Bill Bratton. At 11 p.m., he went to an undisclosed hospital wearing all black and a hat and identified himself as George. <laughs> hey, I'm George, Spitzer. Why George, out of curiosity? Two hours later, he called the hospital to ask about the woman using the same fake name. Uh, hi, it's uh, me, uh, George Costanza. You don't know me. No, George Fox was the name of a friend that he used while um, using these professional women in 2008. Spitzer apologized to the man because there was actually a man named George Fox for using the pseudonym. An unsealed text message chain in the aftermath of the incident between Spitzer and the woman showed the tensions remained high between the two as the woman said she was at the police station and was prepared to disclose the nature of their relationship. I make sure your daughters and everyone you are dealing with knows who you are, she said whose number was saved in her phone is Elliot, my love. <laughs> oh, man. What? I tell you what, this guy, man. He said, she said, you, Spitzer said, why are you doing this? Let's talk. We have things worked out so nicely. You can buy any lawyer and I'm not your friend anymore. You messed every little thing up. You just want me to die. I'd be better if I died in California. You would have to deal with this now. I have no idea what you mean, he said. I've been taking good care of you, and I'm going to continue. Why disturb this? He'd been seeing her for years. Oh, man, I uh, don't want to tell you what she claimed he paid her to insert into his, you know, place where the sun don't shine and have him walk around on the floor and all fours with a leash. And he also wanted to be called the Love Gov, which clearly Cuomo would not be happy with if he knew about this. In the July 2016 document viewed by the New York Post, the woman agreed not to contact Spitzer and remain tight-lipped about the case, or she would pay him $100,000. 
which was about when he would pay her for a weekend. An amount reflecting in part both damages Mr. Spitzer had suffered and funds he has previously used to pay her off. This, then, he agreed to drop his extortion lawsuit against her. She now lives in Russia. Pleaded guilty to attempted petty larceny in Manhattan Supreme Court in October 2017 after she tried to rob a man who co-signed her lease on a Manhattan apartment. She served a short jail sentence. By the way, she's way out of his league. I mean, he's a creepy-looking dude, isn't he? Insert things with a shundone sign and walk around on all fours. <clears throat> yeah. Wah. And call me the love gov. Even then, she was like, well, that's really creepy. I mean, all this other stuff is creepy, creepy. But you want me to call you love gov like Cuomo? Come on. That's where I draw the line. Like any self-respecting woman of the night or day or any time for that matter. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the afternoon or the evening now. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for listening.